0: Well, brothers, we have a real treat this morning with our speaker, Kent Stickler. Now, I've known Kent for about 25 years, and he's been a very, very dear brother to me. He's been a prayer partner and helped me through some very difficult times. He's a very unique guy. He, for over 34 years, he's been traveling all around the United States, doing leadership training and teaching people, and uh, he's very well sought after. That's the business piece. Then there's the physical piece. This guy at age 76 can do more push-ups than I can that I could do when I was a college student working out every day. He can do more pull-ups today, probably four times more pull-ups today than I could do when I was a college student working out every day. He is absolutely ripped. When you go talk to him, call him sir or Mr. Stickler. Okay, cuz he will he will he can administer a fanny whipping. But the biggest piece is his love for me as a brother and his wisdom and his prayer, being working with me as a prayer partner. It's so valuable. You know, brothers, I'm 64 years old now with two cancers. There's not a woman on North America, in all of North America, that would be interested in me. But still, this whole idea of sexual fidelity, of of being a very moral person, following Christ properly, is still scary to me, even though I'm not a target uh, from any women. Amen? <laughs> so I would urge you, brothers, to listen to his talk this morning. His talk is Run, Brother, Run. And he's going to pull it from 1 Corinthians and from Ephesians. And I ask you, brothers, give it your rapt attention. Even if you're in your 80s or 90s, give it your rapt attention because you might be able to help your kids, Or your grandkids with these principles. Please join me in welcoming Kent Stickler.
1: I love you. You're the best. (laughs) Set that aside. Well, I'm amazed by this group of people. You have um, around 100 that come out on Saturday mornings. They're faithful. My my subject, as Charlie mentioned, is run, brother, run. You know, I have memorized now um, about 187 scriptures, and I got into this about 10 years ago when I thought this might be a nice way to work on my memory as I got older. And so I started out memorizing. I was going to memorize five verses, and I was going to memorize ten verses. And it just kept going and going. But one of the new ones this year is uh, 1 Corinthians 6.18. It says, run from sexual sin. No other sin affects the body so clearly as this one does. Uh, Sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Another translation says, flee from sexual sin. And so I've decided to wade into this subject today. And, you know, it's a, it's a huge problem. I, I have said for years, the two biggest problems facing men is money and greed and women and sex. And this sexual thing is a hard thing to talk about, particularly when you've got a, a mixed audience, but a, this is a perfect setting to talk to you about this. And sometimes you may say, well, what qualifies you to come speak about this subject? Well, I've been married... 57 years. Um, I've worked through some things. Um, I thank God probably every morning that he has brought me through these things. And uh, so I don't speak necessarily at you today. I speak to myself as well as I speak with you. You know, this, this problem is huge. If you think about it, Franklin Roosevelt had this problem. Um, Eisenhower had a problem. Kennedy had a huge problem. Clinton had a problem. Um, I'm thinking my friend, my Louisville friend, your coach at Louisville now was booted out of Arkansas over this problem. And I know that Charlie mentioned my age, but I think the, just within the last couple of weeks, the the uh, president of Fox News what was he, maybe in his 70s, was booted out over this sexual issue. It's been, in, it's been among ministers. It's been in the church. So why wouldn't we talk about it and why wouldn't we deal about it? You know, the problem goes way back. Do you know that one of the verses i memorized, it's maybe one of the most curious verses ever, is Job 31.1, which says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. And I have been very intrigued by that. You know, Job is like the 18th or 19th book in the in the the Scriptures. But Job was written way back, they tell us, at the time of Genesis. Job was an old, old, Job was old, old, old. And there he is talking about that problem. He must have been concerned about that. Let me just go to my Bible here. I want to pick up something about Job. By the way, Charlie is the modern-day Job. Charlie is the modern day Job. He is, Charlie's one of the most amazing people. And he will tell you, he, I'm probably embarrassing right now just by saying that. Because he knows the flaws. But I'm going to read you from Job 29. Job 29, just a little bit about Job. All who heard me praised me, all who saw me spoke well of me, for I assisted the poor in their need and the orphans who required help. I helped those without hope and they blessed me and I caused the widow's hearts to sing for joy. Everything I did was honest, righteousness covered me like a robe. There were days when I went into the city and took my place among the honest leaders and the young stepped aside when they saw me and the aged rose in respect to my coming. The princes stood in silence. They put their hands over their mouths. The highest officials of the city stood quietly, holding their tongues in respect. Job must have been the Warren Buffett. He must have been the Bill Gates. And then two chapters later, he says, I made a covenant of my eyes not to look lust at a young woman. So we had perhaps one of the greatest men, God's heart, who apparently was challenged by this. Hang in there with me. I'm going to take you to Second uh, Samuel. Late one afternoon, after his midday nap. David got up out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she's Bathsheba. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. So if you're here today and sometimes you're not real happy with your thoughts and you're my age and Charlie's age and you are vexed with this from time to time, you have a lot of company. And so I maintain that why why would we take such an important subject and not from time to time talk about it? When I speak to people, I always try to leave you with at least three practical ideas that will help you tomorrow. And so if I fail to do that, I feel like I've not not been effective. You know, over the years, I've thought about this, and I have developed what I call the four stages of sexual disaster. And let me just go to the easel. You know, people remember 10% of what you hear, 25% of what you see, 50% of what you see and hear, nearly 70% of what you see here, write down and talk about, and I've got some pens and notepads in case you want to take some notes, but let me diagram the the stages, I think, of sexual disaster. There are four stages. The first stage I call temptation. Temptation. And this is when something enters our eyes, we hear something, and um, it starts working on our mind. And uh, I tell you, I'm, I'm going from here to the gym, and one of the, one of the problems with going to the gym is that uh, there are a lot of good-looking women in tight clothing at a gym, and you've really got to work through this, but your eyes do a job. And by the way, I've come to the conclusion that temptation is really, in some ways, kind of a weird way, kind of a good thing. Because you know, James 1.12 says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life for those who love God. And I sometimes think that when you have a temptation, something enters your eyes, you're, you're, you hear something, and you have a temptation, and you conquer it, I think that builds muscle and strength in handling temptation. And so I think that God says that temptation's not the problem. And then the next step is we put together the plan. Well, I, 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 could, go to, I could meet her at Starbucks, over in Tampa Road, none of the church, I, I would certainly not go to the Northwood Starbucks because too many church people. But I could go over there because none of the church people come there. You know, I, I know that her husband, I know her husband's gone the third week of the month. I know that she has dinner here Thursday. She has lunch there Thursday. I could I could go there and we put together the plan. And we're still probably I I'm not sure you can stop the temptation. I'm not sure you can stop the mind working on the plan. But when you pick up the phone and you call her, when you sit down with her at Starbucks, when you have arranged dinner, you're in trouble. And I call that stage the execution stage. Execution stage. And here we go, going down this path. And the final stage is disaster. I could tell you, I could take you to Psalms 51 where J, David's talking about his sin and he says, oh God, put joy back in my life. And I could tell you of a person I know that went down this path and he's, he's lost his job, he's lost his family, he's lost the respect of his kids. Because he couldn't get a job, he spent his money, he saved for retirement. He's 67 years old today. He's gone back with his wife, and they have virtually no money set aside for retirement because he had to spend it to exist. He's having a hard time. He's going to work till he's 90 years old. And he had a fantastic job. My my thought is somewhere we've got to put a, a barrier between the plan and the execution. We've got to put something in place that stops us from making the call. We've got to do something to put... We've got to put a barrier in there that stops us from meeting her at Starbucks. About six years ago, Kurt did a series on borders, also called guardrails. And you remember he had a guardrail on the stage, if you can remember that. By the way, the guardrail is a piece of steel, a reinforced steel, that you put alongside the roadway to stop you from going off and and. You can hit the guardrail, and that's dangerous, but if you go across the guardrail, you're in trouble. And I'd like to give you five guardrails that can protect you in this area of sexual problems. And by the way, I give the credit to Andy Stanley, and I give the credit to Kurt. And if you've if you heard these, if you're a follower of Andy Stanley and Kurt, you may know these, but here are the five guardrails and I can tell you, if you will practice these, and some of you are older like me in the audience, but maybe you've got a son that needs this information. Maybe you've got a daughter that needs this information. Here's guard oil number one. Do not travel alone with a member of the opposite sex. Number one is do not travel alone with a member of the opposite sex. The other day I, have a, I had a situation come up in, in our neighborhood. There's a lady that lives right next to us. Her name is Patty. And she's on the board of our association, and I'm active. I'm the the chairman of the landscape committee, and she says, Ken, I need to talk to you about some things. Could I ever buy you a Starbucks? And by the way, the definition of a guardrail, it's a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. The definition of a guardrail is a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. And when you start to get near a gold rail. Something like this goes on with you. It goes <clears throat> <clears throat> mm-mm. Hmm. And it's your conscious working on you. And right away, she says, Can can I can can I'll just I'll, we'll just go in my car. I said, Patty, I've got to do a couple things. I'll meet you there. And then we left and we waved at each other. Here we are. It's not kind of crazy taking our own separate cars, but I had made up a reason, Patty, I've got some things to do. I'll meet you there. Without the guardrail, I, I'd gotten in the car. Now, probably would nothing never would have happened. But you know what we've got to do? We've got to, we've got to create a moral margin between our behavior and the guardrail. You could, I, I know when I get in my car, if I approach a wall or something, my car goes crazy, starts beeping at me. And what I want, when you start to cut into the margin, the moral margin, I want things to start beeping at you. Girl, number two, do not eat alone with members of the opposite sex. Number two, do not eat alone with members of the opposite sex. It was in the 1990s, and I'm watching Larry King. and the full hours with Billy Graham. And apparently that was the time when the Clintons were in the White House and Hillary had invited Billy Graham for lunch to the White House. And Billy had said, could I bring Grady Wilson with me? And I guess it became kind of an issue among Hillary's staff that she asked Billy to come. Why did he want to bring another person? And I guess it got out into the news and Larry King is interviewing Billy about that and Billy says to Larry, he says, yeah, oh, that's right. He says, I, I brought Grady with me. I asked him. There was a little pushback on that. But he said, when we started the Billy Graham Association in the early 1950s, we made a pact, all the men in the association, that we would never have dinner, never have lunch with a member of the opposite sex. And I said to myself, if, if the great Billy Graham has that rule, what about me? And And, and by the way, um Andy Stanley will tell you the number one cause of, of affair among men in his church starts with dinner. Having dinner, I'll have another dinner, you see. And the second dinner and the third dinner. And by the way, I add don't have Starbucks with members of the opposite sex. Now, by the way, if you get if you get accidentally caught, I had a situation a while back ago where I was to meet a couple, and the husband got delayed, so here I am with the woman, and I suggest if you get caught in a situation, you, get it, call, you, you call your spouse. You say, by the way, honey, I just want you to know I'm, I'm here with Mary, and uh, I'll let you know when I... I'll, I'll keep you posted when I'm leaving and coming home. Dollar rule number, th- number three is don't confide in or counsel with members of the opposite sex. Don't confide in, or counsel with members of the opposite sex. Oh, boy, I've never had anybody listen like you listen. Oh, I have never told anybody this before. Could we meet again? You, When I tell this to my husband, all he does is lecture me. And you're such a good listener. Let's Let's, let's, let's meet again. You're so helpful to me. And when a member of the opposite sex says to you, I've never told anybody this before, I want the alarm to go off. By the way, some of these may seem strange and extreme to you. Come on, Kent. I promise you, you will never regret honoring a guardrail. You'll never regret honoring a guardrail. Number four, number four. When you fill your heart... Or desire drifting for to, towards someone of the opposite sex, call someone. When you feel your heart or desire drifting toward a member of the opposite sex, call someone. Most likely not initially your spouse. That's why I like this men's group. This is the this th- these are the people you call. Charlie and Kurt and I have. Been an accountability group for a number of years. I promise you, I promise you, when I have an issue, I am calling these people and I trust they call me. And by the way, I I've got several ministers in the room here today, and Tom and people like that, and I'll tell you, one of the biggest problems for ministers is the issue of people confiding in them and counseling them. They, they want to come and talk to ministers because you, you have all this knowledge. You're such a great listener. And, and probably the people in the ministry have suffered the most, starting with counseling. People want their advice and so forth. And number five, my fifth hint, is share your guardrails with your spouse. Share your guardrails with your spouse and invite her to call you on them when you get out of line. Guardrail number five is share your guardrails with your spouse and invite her to call you on them when you get out of line. By the way, those are the guardrails for married people. Here are a couple of thoughts for single people. I know we've got some, got some single people in the room here. Andy Stanley says, number one is gouge your eyes out with a spoon. <laughs> But my second thought for single people in the room, unmarried people in the room here today is, is practice the five I've just given you. Single person, you do not have, do not travel on with a married woman of, do not, do not have lunch or dinner with a married woman. Do not confide in her. When you find your, when you find your heart marrying, getting interested in a married woman, Single fellow, you need to call someone. Another one for single people, no sleepovers. By the way, we have a a dear friend. Someone in the room knows who I'm talking about. She is an incredible woman. She's got three kids. Remember here at Harborside? She's like my daughter. And we talk about these things because she she is the most incredible mother of children. And she's long, she went through a terrible divorce a year or so ago. And she's in the situation now where she's kind of interested in dating. And we meet at Starbucks, Jane and I meet with her at Starbucks on a fairly regular basis. And I always say to her, be careful, watch. I, I say to her, watch men over two things, money and sex. And I say to you, if you're starting to date, and a guy wants to move on you quickly, red flag. And I said, when you go out to lunch or dinner with this person, he wants to share the tab. He wants to split the ticket, red flag. Watch men over those issues. Let me take you back to the scriptures. Just a few more minutes, and I'll be through. I'm to go to Daniel. So let me find Daniel. About 600 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, is uh, conquering everything throughout the Middle East. And he goes in and conquers Israel. He plunders Jerusalem. And unlike a lot of people in that area where they just slaughtered people, he has a very clever idea. He wants to pluck out the most attractive, the prettiest, the most handsome, the brightest people and bring them into his court. And then he puts them through a three-year program. It's kind of like a PhD program. It's like a Ph.D. program. He, Daniel had his hair cut. He changed his clothing. He was learning new language. But Daniel decided not to eat the king's food, and you, many of you know the story. We do not know why Daniel chose food to be the issue. Maybe it was not kosher food or whatever. We don't know that, but Daniel decided. Daniel foresaw what was going on, and he had to stop it, and he drew the line, Let me read you. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given to them by the king. The next verse says, Now God. I had a situation at the gym about a year and a half ago, and I shared this with Kurt and with Charlie. I had a lady say to me one day, a much younger lady, a very attractive lady, very well uh, put together, if you know what I mean, And we talk, and all I knew was her first name, didn't know her last name. She comes up to me one day at the gym, and she said, I'd like to see you take your shirt off, and she goes like that. And I'm so taken back by that, I don't quite know what to say. In fact, I don't even remember what I did say. A couple more times went by when I see her at the gym, and she was kind of flirtatious, and I said to her, you know, I'm a person of faith and I draw the line. And I said, I have a lot of problems in my life and I don't need a woman's problem. I I appreciate your compliments, but I draw the line. Daniel made up his mind. Daniel resolved not to cross over. Years ago, I had a worked with a company up in Illinois. It was a banking company, and the owner of the company, and anybody from central Illinois may know this person. There was a person I worked with named Doug Mills. Doug Mills at that time, and still to this day, holds the number record for the number of varsity athletic letters won from the University of Illinois. He was back when freshmen could not play varsity uh, like they do today, but Doug won his sophomore, junior He was the punter on the football team, University of Illinois football team. He was a starting guard on the basketball team, and he was a star pitcher in the Big Ten on the base. He won nine varsity letters, and within five years of graduating from the University of Illinois, he won the Illinois State Golf Championship, amateur golf championship. He was a fantastic athlete. He was also a very successful business person. He bought and owned several banks in central Illinois, and they hired our company to come in and work in a training capacity, this company. Doug knew a little bit of my background. He knew that I had gone to a Christian school. He knew that my father was involved in the ministry, and he asked to meet me one time for lunch, and we're having lunch, and he says, you know, Ken, I'm having a little bit of a challenge. We, I have, and he named this young lady. She was a beautiful lady, and he said, you know, she's making overtures to me and he says, I sat down with her a couple of weeks ago and I said to her, he, ca- he said, I told her, I have made up my mind that I'm not going to have a woman problem. And what impressed me was I have decided I have made up my mind and I've never forgot that story. And like Daniel And like my friend Doug Mills, I'm asking you to make up your mind that one of your problems is not going to be a woman. You're not going to have this woman problem. And I'm telling you, it doesn't go away just because you're here today, 50, 60, and 70. Charlie, you attested to that. And so... Perhaps I'm giving you some help that will help with, as I mentioned earlier, your grandson or a son, maybe even a daughter. But we've got to make up our mind that this is not going to be an issue. Let me close in prayer. Father, I thank you for these men. I thank you, Lord, for the attention they've given me and the courtesy they've given me this morning. Lord, we've got got an amazing church here. And I'm reminded, Lord, of the scripture verse in Peter where it says, stay alert, watch, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And when our church is thriving and doing so well, Satan would love to get in here. And one of the ways he can do that is impacting the men through the things we've talked about today. So, Lord, I, will, I pray that you will help us be an amazing church, but you will help us have moral excellence throughout. And that you will help us maintain the margins, that moral margin in our church. And We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much.